Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, October 7th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Okay, so in the last version of this podcast on Monday, we were talking about uh, all the films by all the films i mean the couple of films that are still set to come out this year in 2020 uh or the big films i should say uh the the one that we were like oh well you know dune is still there dune's still coming out right uh well apparently right right after we published that podcast episode dune uh was pushed to october 2021 so almost a full year uh, a bunch of other release dates were pushed as well, including the Batman, which got delayed till 2022. And that uh, had a domino effect that basically pushed all the DC movies up and knocked Black Adam out of the calendar. And Jurassic World uh, Dominion uh, was pushed back to 2022, which is weird because... That one's actually in production now, so it's almost like uh, th- they could have come out at that original release date. Um, so I guess, uh, you know, I'm, I'm saying all this because 2020, it looks like the movie season for 2020 has been canceled. I know there's still some stragglers, which we mentioned on the last podcast. There's Pixar Soul, which I think everybody is probably in agreement to here that it's probably going to Disney Plus as a PVOD. Uh, the Crude's a new age. Who knows? Who cares? Uh, Free Guy, uh, Death on the Nile, uh, Wonder Woman 1984. I guess Wonder Woman 1984 is the only big question mark for me. Brad, what, what do you think is going to happen to Wonder Woman 1984? Is it going to be pushed back? Will it be put on... It's too big of a movie to be released streaming, right? Yeah, I feel like if Marvel pushed back Black Widow, like there's no way WB is gonna um, put Wonder Woman 1984 on on streaming. So I, I feel like it's it's probably gonna end up having to get delayed. But th- then I I guess this is crazy. The question becomes: When do big movies come out in theaters in 2021? 
because I'm looking at this release calendar and there's like, you know, some movies scheduled. There's like Peter Rabbit 2 in the middle of January. But, I, you know, I don't even know anybody that's saw P- Peter Rabbit 1. Uh, I, I like uh, Peter Rabbit 1. You did? Okay. Yeah, it's actually pretty fun. Um, there's, uh, I guess the, the first like really big movie is the beginning of March has Ghostbusters Afterlife. Do you think that is going to keep its date or do you think that they'll get pushed? I think that'll probably keep its date, but I think that partially depends on where we're at in the pandemic during that time, because right now predictions are that a vaccine probably won't be uh, available until early to mid 2021. So it probably depends on how, what the spread is like at that point, if Sony will keep that date. Yeah, I feel like we have a bunch of movies in March. So there's uh, that, there's Tom and Jerry, there's Ryan the Last Dragon, the Disney movie, uh, Morbius, there's uh, Tomb Raider 2, uh, Boss Baby 2. So I feel like right now, it seems to me that Hollywood is kind of like, now March is the new December, right? <laughs> uh, so uh, Ben, what do you think? Like, is is, is March going to actually happen or is March canceled? Man, um, if I had to guess, I would say March is going to be canceled and and push back a little bit. But I I read or I I guess I listened to uh, the New York Times podcast, The Daily today and heard like some what I consider to be good news for the first time in a long time, which was essentially the like the science uh, guy, science and health reporter that they had on there was basically saying, like, maybe if everything goes according to plan, then the vaccine could be like widely uh, not only available, but like widely administered by, you know, like maybe summer of of next year. And so if that's the case, then maybe like the last half of 2021 is not a complete write-off. And maybe these movies will just get, you know, the everything will just get pushed and pushed and pushed until that point. And then things can start maybe slowly returning to normal. I'm not sure. But uh, March seems a little early for me, but uh, maybe it won't be, maybe it'll be ben, enough ben. for them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I asked you about March and then you said something about good news. And then you were like, maybe movies will come out at the end of the year. Yeah. Well, <laughs> how is that good news? <laughs> because I have been uh, under the impression that things would not get, you know, back to any sense of normality until like 2022 or something. That's just been from everything that I've been reading. That sort of was like my best case scenario. And now I'm hearing, oh, maybe the best case scenario is actually like late summer 2021. So that sounds like really good news to me, who's been operating in this, uh, I don't know, I guess, pessimistic slash real potentially realistic bubble. But um, yeah, in terms of movies and and these, you know, incremental delays, I'm not sure how that all is going to play out. But uh, we'll see. Well, if there's not going to be no big movies until the end of 2021, I don't know how movie theaters are going to survive. We we already know that Regal has decided to shut down and, uh, you know, go home because uh, they, they are losing too much money being open. Uh, so I guess the question is, uh, what is AMC and Cinemark going to do? Brad, what do we know? Well, even though Regal Cinemas is closing, it sounds like AMC theaters and Cinemark theaters will not be shutting their doors. Uh, Real Cinemas are, is closing this week, starting on Thursday. Uh, they'll be shutting down all of their locations in the U.S. and all their locations in the United Kingdom. But AMC Theaters, uh, which is the biggest chain in the U.S., has said that they uh, don't need to do that. They're uh, planning on staying open. Um, apparently, they don't have as big of concerns as they did earlier this year when it seemed like they might not have enough uh, capital to stay um, ahead of the curve and worry about coronavirus hurting them and forcing them to close theaters. 
And then Cinemark, uh, they're kind of in a unique position because even though theaters in Los Angeles and New York aren't open, um, they actually don't have to worry about that too much because they don't have a lot of locations in either of those cities. In fact, they have zero uh, theaters in New York City. They only have one in Rochester, New York. So even with those big markets closed, uh, they actually still have about 80% of their total theaters open and they'll be opening more as the months go on. So they're not worried about shutting down either because they're able to stay open um, at, in all the usual places and not, they're not, apparently they're not losing enough money to worry about. I guess they're, uh, they had multiple contingencies in place where they were able right. to uh, adapt to the situation as it evolved. So, yeah. But like, you know, if Wonder Woman gets pushed and then the next big movie isn't until, you know, March 2021, can they really, can those theaters really survive, like, staying open? Can they afford to stay open? So, like I said, Cinemark doesn't seem worried about it, and AMC Theaters kind of has a bonus here because, uh, as we heard not too long ago when we talked about on this podcast, they struck a deal um, with Universal that controversially shortened the theatrical window from three months to about three weeks. And apparently this deal that they struck with Universal... Uh, is something that will allow them to stay open longer than they otherwise might have been able to. Um, so any movies that Universal has that are coming out, if they hit theaters, they'll just quickly come to on-demand and they get part of the on-demand grosses as well as the box office. So I guess that's the big thing that AMC is touting as they're, uh, I guess, you know, saving their life for now. I feel like... <sighs> I feel like these big movies are going to get pushed like like we've been talking about. And I don't think AMC and Cinemark can afford to stay open seven days a week. I think we're going to see a thing happen where these theaters are going to close Monday through Thursday. So Cin open. Cinemark actually did say that they probably would be making some changes to their hours of operation. They didn't uh, give any specifics when they said that they would be staying open. But I wouldn't be surprised if, like you said, they, they follow in the footsteps of the uh, Odeon cinemas in the UK and they stay closed during the week and only open on the weekends. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be a really interesting series of events. And I know, you know, movie theaters were not doing well already. And uh, th this really could be like the death of, you know, multiplexes as we know it. So we're going to be following this pretty closely, uh, but let's move on to uh, some happier news. Let's talk about star Wars. There is uh what is it? New York Comic Con is going on this week, yes. or virtually, and uh, there's been some announcements about Star Wars publishing. They they have this series of books called From a Certain Point of View, which tell the story of like side characters and background characters. Last time it was with A New Hope. This new one is for The Empire Strikes Back, and we, uh, I, I think, some of these stories were revealed. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah, so all, this uh, new book, which comes out on November 10th, uh, has 40 chapters in it. And each chapter is uh, a different story told from the perspective of so, sort of like a, a side character or, or like a um, like an un, uh, unforeseen or sort of, a, you know, like a background character in the Star Wars mythology that's never really been explored in any sort of significant way before. Um, actually, sometimes some of them are from like Yoda's perspective, but it's like uh, showing moments of Yoda that we did not see on screen. So um, and my th this is usually around like Empire Strikes Back. So it usually connects in some way with the events of that movie, but telling it from a 
you know, different point of view. Right, right. So um, all 40 of these chapter titles have been revealed, as well as the authors who are uh, responsible for writing them. And I just wanted to break out a couple of the more interesting um, chapter uh concepts, premise, premises, uh, that, uh, that struck me as being like, oh, that, that's actually really fun. So, um, Jacob Hall, our, our, uh, esteemed managing editor pointed out that, uh, I think his favorite of these is there is going to be a story about a chef who is forced to cook food for Darth Vader when he comes to visit Lando Calrissian on, uh, on Cloud City or in Cloud City. Um, so this chef has to like figure out like, what does Darth <laughs> Vader like to eat or like does he have any allergies or something? That was the the joke my wife made. Like, does he have any food restrictions? Like, what's what's going on? Um, so I, I love that concept. That that one struck out or stuck out to me. Um, Gary Witta, who wrote uh, an early draft of Rogue One, a Star Wars story, is writing a chapter of this book that's called Rogue Two, which is about um, what the Rogue Squadron does when Luke Skywalker goes missing on the snow planet of Hoth. Um, so it's about those those soldiers and who they like basically start taking bets about who's going to find Luke Skywalker first. So that sounds like a, an interesting return to a galaxy far, far away from him. Um, I think my personal most interesting one is uh, going to be written by um, an author named Tracy Dion. And the, <laughs> the story is, uh, let's see, the, the uh, chapter title is Vergence. And the perspective is from <laughs> the cave of evil on Dagobah that Luke goes into. So it's like from the cave's perspective, <laughs> which uh, I love that. That is like, you know, <laughs> I think in our uh, Slack, Peter, yesterday when all this was breaking, you mentioned like in that first book, they took some big swings and like some of them worked and some of them didn't, but at least it was interesting. And that definitely sounds like what they're doing here as well. They're, they're sort of taking that same mentality uh, with this sequel book. And this seems like a big swing. Like, you know, who would have ever thought that there would be a story written from the perspective of a cave? Um, but I, I kind of love the uh, the like bonkersness of that. Yeah. And one of my favorite uh, background characters from Empire Strikes Back is a character named Wilro Hood, who is a character shown, I think, probably for 25 frames of the film. You can see him on Cloud City. He is running with a prop, which was an ice cream maker. Uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know why, but like he's in an orange jumpsuit and fans have like really taken to love Willero Hood. Like there have been backstories invented for him uh, back in, I think the nineties or two thousands Hasbro did this contest, like a asking for like fans to vote for someone who should get an action figure in the star Wars universe. And, uh, Wilro Hood actually won that gun action figure. He's he's in like literally less than a second of the movie. And uh, at Star Wars Celebration, they have this thing called the the running of the hoods, and it's like you know dozens of people dressed as Wilro with their their ice cream makers, which are now what is it called? Cam Tano safes, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like we saw that in the Mandalorian, and there's a story. I'm actually kind of confused. Is this a story about Wilro Hood or is it about the woman who he stole the the safe from? I think it's actually about Wilro Hood. Um, yeah. And it's maybe it's called, about both of them. But... And it's also called Duan Batu. So and Batu is the, the planet that Galaxy's Edge is based on. So it's some, some kind of connection to that, uh, which is kind of cool, uh, you know, for for theme park fans. Uh, but yeah, uh, you know, the first book was 
was a mix of like some really fun stories and some really bad stories. I'm assuming, I mean, that's the case with any anthology, like take it a book or a movie anthology series or whatever. I, I feel like that seems to be the norm that like you, it's kind of all over the place. Uh, I, I'm going to check this out when this comes out November 10th. But uh, one of the interesting things about this is this is a Disney Star Wars book. So all of this, including the story from the perspective of, ca- of a cave, is canon, technically. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> uh, OK, uh, we'll put the link to that in the show notes if you want to find out uh, more of the stories, because there's there's 40 of them uh, celebrating uh, the 40 years. OK, Uh Let's move on. Let's talk about, uh, you know, on Monday's podcast, I was joking that the Seuss Cinematic Universe could save us, could save movie theaters. Uh, maybe I was wrong about that. That That is, you know, so early in development, that's going to be a few years out. Uh, you know what, what could save us is the Sherlock Holmes Cinematic Universe. Brad, tell us about it. Yes, uh, we don't have a Sherlock Holmes 3 yet. It's slated for December of 2021. We'll see if that actually happens since they haven't started shooting yet. But apparently, Robert Downey Jr. and his wife and producing partner, Susan Downey, hope that Sherlock Holmes 3 will help them launch uh, a new cinematic universe following some other uh, characters from within the world of Sherlock Holmes uh, in the form of possibly spinoff TV shows, maybe spinoff movies, and creating this quote-unquote mystery-verse uh, that fans will maybe want to uh, to check out. <laughs> are there really that interesting of characters in the Sherlock Holmes universe? Like, are we going to see, like, a Watson spinoff? I mean, I'm not sure because, like, Jude Law is probably pretty expensive, and I, I'm not sure, you know, if following just him will be enough for fans. I think Robert Downey Jr. is definitely the biggest draw when it comes to people being interested in this uh, version of Sherlock Holmes. But I, I don't know. I feel like maybe it, I guess it depends on like which kind of characters they're talking about and how they're introduced in the third movie. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm not super familiar with the the literary universe um, that Arthur Conan Doyle created for Sherlock Holmes. So I don't know if there are any other key characters besides the ones we all know, like, you know, Mycroft and Moriarty um, and, and whatnot. So I I mean, you could do a Moriarty like uh, I guess like a origin story. I don't know. Sure, everyone loves those villain origin stories. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I mean, I'm just looking forward to the Baker Street Irregulars movie. Sure. That sounds... Uh, the, the what now? <laughs> I don't know. I, I just I did a search for Sherlock Holmes characters, and the Wiki, Wikipedia entry for this only has about, I want to say, 10 Oh wait, hang the... on. Let me let me guess. Are these the uh, the street urchins that uh, that Sherlock Holmes sort of like employs to like uh, be his eyes and ears on the ground? Is that yes? They are? Okay. they are the street boys employed by Holmes as intelligence agents. Actually, I can actually see them trying to make a movie off that. I'll, I'll, I'll watch it if it's a musical like the Newsies. <laughs> okay, uh, so w- when are we going to see the cinematic universe take shape? Brad. No, no idea. It's it's something that they're just they've merely been talking about and trying to figure out. And and like I said, we don't know exactly when the third movie is going to arrive. It's been in development for a long time. Uh, by the time it it will be released, if it hits the current release date, it has it will have been ten years since the second movie came out. So uh, it's anybody's guess at this point. 
okay, if you thought a Sherlock Holmes cinematic universe was ridiculous, wait until you hear both of our next stories. Uh, we'll start with the, the I guess, less ridiculous one first. Uh, that they're, they're making a movie based on Thomas and Friends. Uh, ben, tell us about it. Yeah, if, if uh, a Thomas the Tank Engine movie is the less ridiculous of the two stories, then you know we're in for a good rest of the podcast, guys. So, um, yes, Mark Forster, who directed World War Z and Quantum of Solace, is directing a Thomas and Friends movie that is going to be a blend of live action and animation. And if that is not a, uh, a 2020 you know, Hollywood um, uh, Mad Libs kind of scenario, then I don't know what is because uh, this is maybe the least expected kind of thing. I mean, I guess the idea of a live action slash animated Thomas and Friends movie is not too far-fetched, but the fact that Mark Forster is directing it is something that I never would have guessed. Uh, Evidently, he has been a big fan of this character who is a sentient train, by the way, if you don't remember the character, he... Uh, appeared in uh, Shining Time Station on TV in the U.S. And he was actually, I think, appeared first uh, in 1984 in the U.K. on Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends. Um, Has been, you know, a big part of, like, children's media for basically for 35 years at this point. Um, But, uh, yeah, um, Mark Forster said that he's been uh, a big fan of Thomas uh, Thomas the Tank Engine since childhood and uh, that he's very excited to make this movie. So, um Wow. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about Mark for a second. So he's made Monsters Ball, Finding Neverland, uh, The Kite Runner, Quantum of Solace, as you said, and World War Z. Uh, he, you know, I didn't see Christopher Robin, but it looks so serious and depressing that I didn't even want, want to see it for like a Winnie the Pooh movie. Yeah, not a fan of that one. Yeah. Uh, like he makes really serious movies, right? Like what is his... Ben, what do you think his version of Thomas and Friends is going to be? So Thomas is just, you know, cruising and all of a sudden zombies start busting out and attacking the train, the railways. And uh, no, I have no idea. Um, I guess I I will say that the one other movie that uh, we didn't mention in terms of Mark Forster's uh, filmography that might be kind of relevant is uh, Stranger Than Fiction, which is a movie that I know Brad loves. He recently wrote about it in uh, a quarantine stream column. Um, And I really like that movie as well. And that one is like a little bit lighter of a tone than some of the, you know, uber serious other things that he's done before so i guess you know that and christopher robbins show that there's like a hint of sort of like family friendly slightly lightish kind of tone stuff going on there but he's just not the the guy that i would have expected and that's not to say that he can't make a great thomas and friends movie for you know a four quadrant audience i guess it's possible but it's just not anything that we would have really uh you know foreseen i mean I understand a Thomas and Friends movie if it was like made for kids, if it was like a, a DreamWorks animated film or I don't know, like it, a four quadrant movie, you know, especially directed by him does not make any sense to me. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm guessing we're not going to see this. I'm guessing this is like one of those things that he's going to be developing and will never actually get off the ground, especially now that, you know, there's not going to be any movie theaters for him to show a four quadrant film in. So. Mm. Sorry to get depressing. But. <laughs> okay, uh, let's talk about our more ridiculous story uh, out of the th- the trio here. Um, you know, first they made a Lego movie. Now they're developing a, a Play-Doh movie. And, of course, the next step in that line is uh, they're going to make a Slinky movie. Brad, tell us about it. 
That's right. Uh, the Slinky is going to walk downstairs and right into movie theaters um, because everyone loves a Slinky. And here it comes. <laughs> do, do I'm, I'm really curious here. Do kids these days even know what a Slinky is? I mean, I, th- I think so, because like it's kind of one of those gifts that like I think you get as like a stocking stuffer or like just like a random thing because like it's such an iconic thing and. I think parents always like to like give their kids like, you know, simpler toys early on. And so like Slinky is still around. And even in this age of, you know, technologically advanced toys and, you know, screen based entertainment, it seems like the Slinky is just, you know, one of those those staple toys that is always around. So apparently, yes. (laughs) Okay. so and and the good news is so this isn't this Slinky movie isn't like a movie where they're trying to like turn Slinky into a character and have it go on crazy adventures up and down stairs um, or untangling itself from a nightmare. Um, Thank God. What is it about then? So it's actually just going to be about the origin um, of Slinky as a toy and how it was created um, and how uh, a woman actually saved the company from uh, bankruptcy and shifted the toy into becoming the, you know, this kind of iconic uh, thing that we know today. Um, the, the invention of the Slinky is credited um, to a guy named R- Richard James, but his wife, Betty, uh, took over the company after he left her and uh, also left her with six kids. But she was able to turn the company around and turn into this big giant. Um, and apparently it's just, uh, you know, a big kind of empowering, inspirational story about how she became one of like the, the earliest female CEOs uh, and essentially you know, t- turn this entire business around uh, at a time, you know, when it, there was plenty of misogyny in the business world. Not that there isn't still misogyny, but it was uh, infinitely worse than it is now. And so uh, I, I, the story of this could be interesting for sure. I, you know, as we've seen, you know, the origin of McDonald's is fascinating, the origins of uh, Facebook and, you know, things like that. Um, but I'm not super inspired by the talent attached to this because it's going to be directed by Tamara Davis who directed uh, Billy Madison. And she hasn't directed a feature film since Crossroads in 2002, the Britney Spears movie that was (laughs) famously panned when it was released. Um, She's been directing a lot of TV since then, and pretty good TV, too. She's done stuff like Ugly Betty and You're the Worst and uh, The Politician, Stargirl, Miracle Workers, Dead to Me, a bunch of stuff. So it's not as if she doesn't have the skills, but when it comes to dramatic features you know i'm not sure that the director of billy madison and also half baked is you know the best person for a job like this plus the script is coming from chris sivertson who hasn't really directed or written any high profile screenplays before and he famously directed Lindsay lohan's movie i know who killed me another uh phenomenally terrible film so uh, as interesting as the actual story of Slinky may be, I'm not sure that these are the right people to tell it, but I would love for them to prove me wrong. That brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find the links to the stories we mentioned on today's podcast in the show notes. You can find Slash Film Daily on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please head, on, please head on over to our iTunes page. Uh, give us a review. Give us a rating. Thanks for watching. And we'll see you on Friday.